0: Yeah, I went up like 12,000 Instagram followers in an hour. Wow.
1: Welcome to Talking Simulator, a series of short conversations about video games with interesting people who play them. I'm Jordan Erica Webber, and in this episode, I discussed esports with my guest, Frankie Ward.
0: I am Frankie Ward, and I am an esports host and presenter. I
1: go do interviews with players, or I host desks, or sometimes I appear on stage as well. Frankie has previously worked as a producer for the BBC and Twitch, but she's now fully focused on presenting in the world of eSports. One of my favourite things about working in games is that the diversity of the medium allows people like Frankie to form entire careers around something I know almost nothing about. Listening to Frankie talk about eSports gives me the same feeling as listening to my friend Danielle, the producer on my Guardian podcast Chips With Everything, talk about football a comfortable warmth that comes from not having enough experience to contribute much to the conversation but knowing the other person is just happy to talk about it. I hope this episode feels something like that for you. So because I don't really follow esports, I think the first time I really saw your work was when you presented the PC Gamer Show at E3. What was that experience
0: like? It was crazy. So 2018 was the first time I did it. I went back in 2019. And the reason I did that show is because I presented a Hearthstone tournament, a really small one called the ESL UK Hearthstone Premiership. And the reason that I got asked to do the PC gaming show is because Tim Clark, who's the brand director, was watching it from New York because he's a big Halfstone fan. He's still playing it, even though a lot of people are getting quite frustrated at Half Stone at the moment. He's still obsessed.
1: <laughs> you say that. I went, to a, I went to an Italian restaurant the other day. And the waitress um, was like, oh, what do you do? We told her we worked in video games. And she was like, Oh my god, have you heard of Hearthstone? Oh wow. Well, there you go. And we were trying to talk to her about like other games, and she was like, No, I only play Hearthstone. I've played it for like five years. I play it before work. I play it after work.
0: Oh, that's really
1: lovely. Well,
0: there you go. <laughs> her and Tim keeping Hearthstone alive. Actually, to be fair, <laughs> Hearthstone's still doing really well. It's just that Blizzard of Scale back their esports effort. But but I'm I'm digressing. So Tim was watching that and apparently he went to the office and said, I think we've got our co-host for Sean, AKA day nine. Who has always hosted the PC gaming show before since it began um, several years ago? I basically found out they wanted to use me for the show because uh, Twitch co-streams uh, E3, and so my one of my managers was like, "Are you hosting the PC gaming show this year?" And I said, "No." What, you mean the PC gaming show? No. I had one of those kind of comedy like, "What the hell?" No, no, no. And then a week later, my agent messaged me and was like, "So uh, E3 PC gaming show free in June," and I lost. My mind, but I didn't get the job officially until after I left Twitch because I got made redundant pretty mm. much a week after that conversation. Oh, geez, good timing! Yeah, good timing. It was Easter bank holiday. Didn't know what I was going to do with my life myself, but I had an inkling maybe hosting would be a good thing to do. And so I emailed a load of people, got booked to do DreamHack hosting and desk host PUBG. And then a week later I went to LA to do E3 and that show basically changed my life because no one knew who I was before that. And then mm. I had, it was an hour long show. I got to script edit it. I got to write a lot of jokes. There was one joke in particular about a shark PG that I said, <laughs> uh, and that definitely uh, got, a, got a few uh, ears popping. And yeah, I went up like 12,000 Instagram followers in an hour which was wow yeah I remember looking at my phone before I went on for the final goodbye because I turned my phone onto airplane
1: and then I saw that and I thought oh okay things things have happened in the last hour that's incredible obviously super good for your career but like were there any downsides to suddenly having 12,000 more Instagram followers than you had before
0: Battery life. I didn't realize (laughs) you could turn off your notifications. My phone kept dying. And I thought I had to reply to everyone because I was getting loads of lovely tweets. And I was like, okay, I need to reply to all these people. And then I realized, actually, you don't have to do that. And I flew back home like the day after the show. And I sort of had kind of, I guess, a week or so to work out what was going on. And then I started working again really solidly. And it was like in October, I basically didn't come home i had like three days at home in the whole of october and yeah from there it went kind of crazy and i thought at the end of the year i was like PUBG is going to a league i'm not i'm not going to do PUBG pro league because that was my main new sport i thought i never i'll probably never work again and then i booked the counter-strike major and again things kind of went crazy and i did five continents in six weeks and that game has really really overtaken my life now <laughs>
1: five continents mm-hmm. in six weeks yeah <laughs> jeez. can we talk a bit more about like what it actually involves being an esports presenter then apart from a lot of travel like how much of your time is spent actually on a stage at a competition and what else do you do the rest of the time
0: so it depends on the role i'm doing but my prep is pretty much always the same so um if we take counter strike as an example there's a website called hltv and that site is incredible because all the tier one and tier two tournaments every single series or if it's a best of one just the one map it will take all the stats from that and so i can even if i don't actually get to see the game with my own eyes i can actually look at the stats i can see how the players performed i can see how they spent the economy that's that's a big part of the game i can see what guns they were using literally i can see the story of the game in data um, I can also see about player history, their meet most recent results. There are seven maps that get played in Counter-Strike in the competitive scene and Valve, the publisher rotates these every year. They normally only cycle out one map and put another map in, but I can see the maps that the teams are playing and things like that. So that's really important for me, especially if I'm doing interviews because I need to be able to talk to teams about their map pool, why they're banning certain maps against other teams and that kind of thing. If I'm desk coasting, the prep is very much the same but I might also do every single night before I am hosting a desk, I need to write my storylines around the matches that I'm gonna be doing. Whereas with interviewing, I have an idea with interviews, but very much they're based around the gameplay because I need to see what's actually gonna happen. And the storylines build up as the tournament progresses. If I'm stage hosting, it can be similar to the interviewing role, but for stage hosting, it's almost like I have to do more work on myself because I am still learning to trust myself on stage. Because as a host in esports, you don't really have auto cues. You just literally have to go out on a stage and try and remember what the hell you have to say. Try not to look at your cue card, but I do carry one as a crutch. And then try and get an audience excited. And sometimes it's a doddle. You've got an arena of thousands of people and they can't wait to see their favorite team play. And sometimes... You're at an event where there are other things going on apart from your tournament and not everyone is always in the room. And actually that can be a really, really hard thing to work with. But the audience at home don't necessarily know that. So you have to work out how much your performance is for the people at home and how much of it is for the people who are there in the arena. And I think when you're stage hosting, the most important thing actually is the people in the arena. But if there aren't many people there, then you know, your, your performance has got to reflect that basically. So that's, that's one of the hardest roles, I think, in esports. In fact, the hardest role personally, I think, is stage hosting. It's really underrated because people think, well, you're just, you're just going on, you're introducing the teams and things like that. But you are responsible for every single person in that arena having a good time. And that is a lot of pressure.
1: This might be a good time to ask if you have like a, a ready-made kind of snappy definition for when people ask you like what esports actually are. What do you tell people?
0: I never thought about it esports is competitive gaming between either a team or solo players that's to me what esports is so and I suppose what changes it from just people competing to esports is there's a tournament system there's a tournament organizer involved usually buy in from the publisher as well. Although sometimes sometimes publishers just like they have tournament licenses that vary depending on how much the prize money is. So yeah, you can go and set up a small fireside gathering for Hearthstone and I don't think you'd have to pay Blizzard anything. But hey, if you introduce a £50,000 check at the end of <laughs> it, then you're going to probably need a tournament license because that 50K has probably come from sponsorship. So actually, yeah, Blizzard are entitled to some money for that because you're making something from their game. Yeah, esports is basically professional competitive tournaments in games.
1: I ask because it seems like a few years ago, developers and publishers were kind of scrambling to try and make their games into esports or try and make brand new esports games but it doesn't seem like very many of them were actually successful so what do you think it takes to turn something into an esport so there's the competitive element the skill ceiling you need to have
0: uh, a skill ceiling that's not easily met. In StarCraft II, they say the skill ceiling hasn't even been met yet. And that is one of the defining esports that's been around since before the turn of the millennium. And Korea is the granddaddy. Uh, although we're starting to see Europe catch up with a Finnish player called Cyril, who won the world championships last year. So it's quite exciting to see Europe finally catch up with Korea on the StarCraft II front. So <laughs> it needs, yeah, it needs an undeniable high level of skill it needs to be watchable that's why counter-strike is a fantastic esport to watch as is rocket league rocket league you can watch rocket league without having ever played it you can clearly see what's going on but if you have played it you'll then understand how difficult it is to play that game is so hard to master you need like 10k hours at least to be professional in that game i would say the other thing about it is more from a technical perspective If you want to have an esports title, you have to invest in the back end. You have to make sure that your API is workable so that people can build overlays and actually draw data from the game so that when people are watching that game, they can get information. So if it's uh, something like PUBG, you need to know the teams that are still alive, still in the game, and how many players they have left alive. You need to know what they're carrying and things like that. The game needs to be able to give those calls to developers and to tournament organizers to be able to actually help enhance the viewer experience. And also it needs to have an observer mode. A lot of games are released without having an observer mode. And then how can you spectate them? How can you make that watchable for the audience? I think that Fortnite didn't necessarily have a custom server actually when it first came out. If you don't have a custom server, and I know that's separate from a observer mode, but if you don't have a custom server, how are you gonna set up games and matches for players to actually get into? They're really, really important. And it's one of the things that PUBG got right early on was giving tournament organizers
1: those tools. Do you also follow any non-digital sports or is there something about esports in particular that makes them interesting to you in a way that other sports aren't?
0: I think I would like to watch football if i was going with mates but if i was in the pub i'd watch it i don't really get rugby i think (laughs) one of the things that's interesting for me about esports comparison to traditional sports is if i watch a game of rugby unless i've got someone who doesn't mind my annoying questions down the pub no one's going to explain to me how rugby works and i went to a girls grammar school and it wasn't like a private school we weren't connected with A boys school or anything like that really There Mm. was there was a there was a boys grammar school but we were a bit away from them so i didn't have any concept of rugby for example and i still kind of don't i know there's someone called a prop i know what a try (laughs) is and a conversion kick so i can kind of watch it but i don't really understand whereas if you watch an esport you have a play-by-play caster who is casting what's going on And then you have a colour commentator who's actually analysing what's going on in the game and actually breaking it down for the viewer at home. So actually, you can watch most esports uh, never having played that game and you can understand it. You get a deeper understanding and you can appreciate it more if you have played the game. And there are certain esports where it's very difficult if you haven't played. Like Overwatch, for example. Overwatch, I used to play so much I could actually do analysis on Overwatch back before they added a load more heroes. (laughs) Now... Maybe not so much, but I totally understand how that game works and I can appreciate it. But that's because I've played it so much. I know the hero Mm. abilities. A similar thing really with League and Dota 2, you can understand fights are happening. But unless you know the particular heroes in Dota 2 or champions in League of Legends that they're playing, it can be a bit difficult. But if you're watching that in an arena full of people, you can really get the atmosphere. And that's why I fell in love with esports in the first place was just from seeing it through the eyes of fans. So I think that esports actually is is easier to get into than people realize. And I just love that sense of community because even if you're supporting different teams at an esport event, everyone sits together. You might have big fan sections cheering for Astralis. People who've never met each other come together because they've maybe spoken on Reddit or they see someone's wearing the same jersey as them, so they sit together and people make friends. And it's so nice like that. And I, I know that probably happens in football as well. <laughs> but I think it really happens in esports because this is a like an online endemic audience, very, very connected via playing games with each other and communicating on Discord, through Twitch communities, through Reddit. And so people get to know each other very, very quickly. And so I feel like I know a lot of people who I've never met before in esports. And then when you meet them, it's just like seeing an old friend. And when I see fans of Counter Strike, they know me now because I've done so many events. You can just have a chat with them. You literally, someone says hello, and then you could chat to them for like 10 solid minutes just about what's going on. And it's just like completely normal. It doesn't feel odd to be talking to someone you've never met before because you share the same passion.
1: A word for i know you called them traditional sports i'm pretty sure i've heard people call them like meat sports <laughs> is there an accepted word for sports that are not e? I don't think so. I just
0: think I just personally call them traditional
1: sports. Okay. I don't think I'm gonna make tea sports happen. Like fetch. <laughs> T sports is just not gonna happen. What about some of the other similarities and differences? Like for the players, so the kind of the physical demands for a professional esports player versus say a professional footballer?
0: So I would say the lifestyle is different, but there are similarities. So it's really important now and there's definitely been in the last year a drive towards this to be really healthy so as a counter-strike player your schedule can be incredibly demanding we've had so many events this year all around the world and some of these teams they'll skip the occasional one but some of them are going to almost every single event that they're invited to and it is relentless there's a team called north who are owned by the copenhagen wolves they're a danish team and they have they're like personal trainer, I think they've got a nutritionist and a psychologist. They use an app called Time Shifter to try and combat jet lag and they train incredibly hard and so they have a very, very regimented routine. Coaches are so important in a game like Counter-Strike as well because the coach is the one who's going to watch all the demos of the other team and, and formulate that game plan and then kind of go through that with what we call the in-game leader or the shot caller, the person that's actually going to set the agenda and set the strats for each round. Because coaches can normally only talk in Counter-Strike in the four timeouts that they have during the match. Okay. So each team can call up to four timeouts during a, a map, I believe. So if it's the best of three, they could have up to 12, but they can only have four every map. So the coach is doing a lot of that legwork for the team so that the team can actually rest so the team can practice as a unit and so that they can do important things like eating healthily and actually getting outside once in a while, but it is intense and it's relentless. And so there is now a union in, in Counter-Strike a players union that demands that the players actually have August off. But this year, the second major starts at the end of August. So not everyone has a full month off, which has been a bone of contention in the community. So Valve have already set the dates for the majors next year so the players actually definitely get their break. Because although, hey, a month is generous and yeah, they'll get some time off at Christmas, the amount of traveling they do is ridiculous. And I experienced a bit of that when I was going back and forth to different tournaments this year because I would... I basically did three weeks in Poland. Then I had a day at home. I went to do something called LEC, which is another game, League of Legends. And then I actually had (laughs) a week and a half off to sort myself out with the Chinese visa. Then I went to Brazil. I came back for a day. Then I went to Shanghai. And I think I came back for a day and then maybe I went to Miami and then I flew straight into London and went into a media day for a PUBG event. And then a week later, I'll, five days later, I went to Sydney, came back. And then a day later, I went to Spain, came back. And then a couple of days later, I went to France. So <laughs> and there are teams that are doing that kind of schedule as well. It's it's absolutely madness. Yeah, But teams are also becoming more forward-thinking in the way that they train as well, because a lot of players will train at home. They'll do online tournaments from their own home PCs, so they won't be in the same room like they are or what we call a LAN tournament, aka an offline or tournament. So those are the tournaments that I actually turn up to and cover. So there's a team called Complexity in the US. They haven't had the best results this year, but they have been bought out by the Dallas Cowboys. And the star of Dallas, which is where the Dallas Cowboys are based, has now given a home to this team and it's absolutely incredible it's called the gamestop high performance center and it's got rooms with two-way glass so oh sorry one-way glass i'm not sure the technical name but think about line of duty and interrogation rooms you'll know what i mean okay yeah (laughs) so they've got six desks. so they've got five for the players one for the coach And they can practice in there and they've got different sound settings so they can practice playing with audiences screaming at them. They can change the temperature of the room so it's like playing in Dubai or it's like playing in Finland. They've got all these different wizardry and gadgets to help them. They've got a padded room with like different physical tests in it. It's Absolutely crazy, but that's the way that esports is going. It's becoming much more focused on the physical aspects of performance, and so it is becoming more in line with traditional sports. And traditional sports are getting more involved, and we're seeing that with things like FIFA, where Manchester City has got its own FIFA team, I believe.
1: So you talked about the the physical side and the health side of things in this video that you did for BBC News Round. Kind of in in the wake of the Fortnite World Cup, I think a lot of people are reassessing their concept of what Fortnite is, with this idea that you can now get rid rich playing it because of these kids who, you know, became millionaires essentially. Um, but you, you kind of warned kids you know, this this could be possible for you, but you've also got to balance your time playing with time spent doing other things. I mean, is it possible to maintain that healthy balance and be good enough to compete? And are you worried about people burning themselves out?
0: I'm definitely worried about people burning themselves out, but I think that's more to do with a professional tournament schedule. And I've definitely seen teams burn out. By the time we'd finished with IntelliX Dream Masters Chicago, which was the last tier one event of the uh, calendar before the player break, There were teams that were absolutely knackered. Our two teams who were in the grand finals said that for themselves. They're definitely suffering some mental fatigue. And when that happens, it's really important for the team to stick together. And the best Counter-Strike team in the world is an American team called Team Liquid. And they have been working on it for years. There's a couple of members who've been part of the team since 2015. But it's really this year when they actually lifted their first Big event trophy, and then they won six events back to back, five of those qualifying as big events, and they won a million dollars in bonus prize money because they won four Intel Grand Slam events. So they have had a phenomenal year, but they are tired and they need this player break so badly because they've never won a major as a team, and that's coming up after the player break. And I think teams are becoming much more honest, players are becoming much more honest about how they're feeling about that. So it is a risk, but. If you've got the right organization behind you, they're going to help you manage that. In terms of something like Fortnite, it is not normal to win that much prize money. So usually the tournament prize pools could be up to a million, but that will be split amongst all the teams that are playing there. The exception is TI, which is the Dota 2, uh, the international, which is iconic and because I think, in part, because of Fortnite, the fans are buying more and more loot crates, uh, which are created every year to raise the prize pool money for the international. So what happens is twenty five percent of each of these loot crates, which I think cost maybe around thirty dollars, goes into this prize pool, and the rest goes to Valve. So last year, I think the prize pool was about twenty five million. So in other words, Valve sold a hundred million dollars worth of these in-game cosmetic loot crates. So they took $75 million of that. And I'm sure they put a lot of that into the international... Production, but that's the thing that always makes me laugh about that is that that's not reported on instead the focus is very much well we crowd for we crowdsource this huge prize pool and i think the prize pool this year is about 32 million maybe i think when i last checked so it's absolutely life-changing and so the winning team from the international probably take about 13 million 14 million of that this year whereas with the Fortnite world cup i believe they didn't call it an esports event i think they build it as a competitive event Hmm. and so there was the sort of celebrity duos tournament where you had players like high-skilled streamers, like Ewok, who is the only female player to be signed to a professional org, I believe. Like Actually, Gen G Sports has just signed a squad of women for Fortnite, but she's at least FaZe Clan's first female signing. And she's mm. her player name is Ewok. She's 13 years old. She's also deaf, which is is very interesting. So she's not only representing girls in esports, she's also representing people with disabilities in esports. And she is clearly incredibly bright, incredibly smart. But when I first heard she'd been signed, I was concerned just because she's only 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and the burden of representation, the burden of representation on women in gaming is, is quite high anyway. Whenever I go out on stage and things like that, I know there's people who think I'm only there because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. But then I, I saw Ewoks tweets and I thought, you know what? It's such such a like hypocritical for me to to even think that because I think that she's going to do fantastic. And she obviously has a lot of support out there. So she's going to do great but in terms of Fortnite World Cup basically that's that's not going to be the norm it's never going to be the norm that is not sustainable and Fortnite epic games they treat their events around Fortnite as marketing events they don't have an established tournament system they don't have a league as such they don't have really super regular events that i can see they have a lot of online events but they don't have many offline events like Mm -hmm. counter-strike does like rocket league sort of does like lec which is european league of legends in fact just league of legends in general they don't have that space at the moment and so so far epic games i think anyway have treated fortnite competitive events as a way to market things they release updates sometimes in the middle of tournaments which is normally a no-no for competitive integrity they throw money at it and they can do that that's great but that's how they get headlines as well it is an absolutely a marketing exercise
1: So, I recently read Cecilia Danastasio's long article about the potential that there might be an esports bubble, which is a kind of really interesting analysis of the this hype that we see over audience numbers in the mainstream press and uh, a look at where the money actually comes from and where it goes. Now, esports are obviously hugely popular, and there are millions of people who want to watch them. But how do they make money? What's that process like? You talked about the the, the loot crates for Dota but how do these huge esports tournaments gather enough money to put these events on and to give out these huge prize pools?
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting one because I am not on that side of things. So Mm. I'm not always actually sure myself, to be honest, but there's a few different strands. So there is, of course, sponsorship. So for example, recently DreamHack Valencia, so DreamHack organised LAN, like BYOC, to so bring your own computer events. And then they have tournaments there as well. And they had a $50,000 prize pool for the women's tournament in Valencia they held recently. And there was a lot of hoo-ha from the community, but the reality was that prize money was put up by sponsors. So they had Zowie who make really, really great high-end esports mice. They have a women's line or at least a women's targeted line called Divina, but lots of professional players, male or female, use their products because I sound like I'm horribly advertising here, but they're they're established products. Energy drinks are endemic in esports because G Fuel, Monster, Red Bull, they tend to sponsor teams and they especially sponsor tournaments as well because uh, you can basically put a can on a desk. You don't have to have anyone drinking from it and then it's just there. It's it's very clever how, how energy drinks can kind of just fit into that ecosystem.
1: Do you think there's a risk of uh, contradiction there with the image of all these energy drinks and then this healthier image that esports teams are trying to promote?
0: Yeah, potentially, absolutely. And personally, I don't have a problem with energy drinks sponsoring esports at all because I do think that it, it really does help the scene. I personally wouldn't be sponsored by energy drinks individually. I don't drink energy drinks but I know a lot of the players do but I also know that they're healthy behind the scenes so if I've never seen a professional player in any of the esports I've covered be negatively affected by energy drinks I have to say I mean they drink more water than they drink energy drinks to be honest and so should we all (laughs) yes exactly so so I don't think they're setting a bad example you don't tend to see players like lugging energy drinks on camera and things like that sure so it's 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 not as damaging as it seems. I think in terms of energy drinks, the conversation actually should be whether we should be limiting them in terms of under-16s not being able to buy them and stuff like that. And I think that's more of a government issue than than something that esports should have to contend with. Mm. Also, there's ticket sales and then some tournament organizers get government grants. So I think Refresh, who organized Blast Pro Series, who I work with, I believe they got a grant from the Danish government. So there's potentially funds there it's almost like an arts council funding i guess you could say mm. and then you have streaming platforms which will sometimes pay for exclusive rights so for example twitch will maybe pay for exclusivity so they used to have a deal with dreamhack i don't know if they still do but dreamhack used to be exclusively broadcast on twitch for a while uh, esl one which is one of the premier tournament strands by esl who are one of the biggest tournament organizers in the world, if not the biggest, they exclusively broadcast ESL1 tournaments. Those are Dota 2 and Counter-Strike tournaments on Facebook for a year. But the thing is, if you take that money, then potentially you're gonna sacrifice viewership and then you're gonna sacrifice sponsorship. So I believe that ESL1 is now available on across multiple platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. I believe that the two counter-strike majors a year which basically goes out to tender so the tournament organizers can bid and say we have this existing counter-strike event we would like to make it into a major here's why it should be one or like the star ladder berlin major that's coming up in august september that's a brand new event star ladder normally produce events in either kiev ukraine or in shanghai china So this is like a new experience for them. But they've been producing uh, PUBG Pro League Europe in Berlin for the most of the year so far. So they've got experience of being producing things in Berlin. So that's going to be a huge event. But that is that was created like the face at London Major last year just for that event as opposed to being an existing tournament that the, the the major was put onto. But the major is known for not making money for tournament organizers because it's three weeks. You've got so many players staying in a hotel. You have 24 teams in total over three weeks. And so that is extremely expensive because you need team managers. You need hotel rooms for those teams to practice. You need hotel rooms for the players themselves. You need to fly people in. You need to pay for your talent, your production for three whole weeks. You're gonna market that as well. So it's incredibly expensive. And of course you need your venue as well. So the Starladder Berlin major is gonna be in the 17,000 capacity Mercedes-Benz Arena. That space ain't cheap. (laughs) So you can kind of see that tournament organizers, I think they take on majors because it's such an honor. They are incredible events and it's just it's just an honor to have them and it's a reputation maker but they're not going to make you money necessarily
1: sure in your career now as a, an esports focused presenter you must come across people say in your kind of offline life grandparents or whatever who don't really understand what esports are what do you think is the the biggest misunderstanding that people have about esports or one thing that you wish more people knew about them
0: oh that's a good question I think I wish that people would actually watch them more Mm. rather than making up their mind first I don't really have any of my friends outside of my little esports world that actually will come to events so they haven't really seen what it's like and I have to say this is a bit sounds like a bit of a tangent but I was in Dallas doing an Counter strike event and Reggie Yates a presenter was there and he was filming a documentary with MTV and so he interviewed me and I have to say he was so nice. He asked really good questions. I mean, he was asking about the business side of things, but also he was actually spending the time to actually watch the game. And I, after the interview later on, I saw him like, watching the final at the back of the <laughs> arena on his own and he was actually going, okay, I wanna actually learn more about this. And I want to wanna see what the audience is seeing. And he was getting into it and he was starting to understand it. And I really appreciate it when people see that and they spend time in that community because when I first discovered esports, I was excited. I didn't know anything about it. I was excited to see this gaming event that was going to fill up Wembley. But it was really when I met the fans and I I saw them watching and enjoying the event that I understood esports. I understood why people would watch other people gaming. I understood the hype and I understood why people came together in that way. And I wanted to be part of that community and I wanted to help tell their stories. And so I left the BBC and moved to Twitch for a year and a half before I became a host. So I I think I just want people who don't understand esports to either give it a chance or let it be. (laughs) Yeah you don't need to complain about something just because you it's not for you you know
1: so I guess what you're saying is I should probably go and watch some esports before I talk to you again
0: (laughs) well the fact that you're giving me a chance to talk about it's great I just want people to join me at Counter-Strike tournament I actually to be fair to my friends if they come around for dinner and I'm I've got a a match on because I'm trying to keep up with the storylines and all that kind of thing They'll almost gather around my computer briefly and I will almost cast around and I'll explain <laughs> what's going on. And I'll, so I say cast, we basically call our commentators, casters in esports. But yeah, I will, I'll start commentating or I'll I'll just break down very simply what's happening in the game or the map that the teams are playing and who the teams are and why the storylines are compelling. And the storylines really are dramatic in some cases. I could wax lyrical about what's going on in Counter Strike Route amongst some of the top teams and some of the players who've won majors in the past who are now struggling to find their form again um, or the upcoming players who are challenging the best player in the world if he's even challengeable like that's still up for debate there's so much going on and it's just I mean it's quite juicy sometimes to be honest I wish people understood that it's great there is so much to care about and At first, actually, well, at least as a a broadcaster, Counter-Strike was really intimidating to me because I thought that people were not going to let me in the scene. And I had to avoid Reddit for a month after I did the major because I'd done a few Counter-Strike events before, but this one really put me out there. Suddenly, you know, again, people suddenly seeing who I was and all that kind of thing in this particular scene. People were quite resistant to me at first. And then they realized that actually I was more like them than they realized. (laughs) And I actually, they understood that actually, I do really love Counter-Strike. I'm not just there to take home a paycheck. I'm, you know, there are easier jobs I could do (laughs) that allow me to have a much more regular work-life balance, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade
1: this job for the world, man. If you want to learn more about eSports, you can become one of Frankie's many Twitter followers at GetFrank. I'm at Jerrica Weber, and this podcast has its own account at TalkingSimPod. If you already know lots about eSports and want to give us ideas for what topics we should cover instead, you can email us at TalkingsimulatorPod at gmail.com. You can also use that address to tell us you like what we're doing. Another way to do that, of course, is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you subscribe so you get the next episode as soon as it's ready. Our music is by Jazz Mickle. You can find her at Jazz Mickle. Talking Simulator is edited by Leamington's loveliest audio person, Dan Parks. If you need to make something sound good, you can find him at Dan C. Parks. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. Talk again soon.
0: When you, when you come in as a fan, people will welcome you. You just have to, if you're watching on Twitch, learn the language of PogChamp and whatface <laughs> and all the emotes that are used on, on shows because it is a bit confusing at first.